0: Hey there. It's Michaela Tendera, the host of Behind the Money. And I want to tell you about a new season of Tectonic, the FT's tech podcast. It focuses on climate tech and asks whether cutting edge climate solutions can scale up quick enough to actually make an impact on climate change. The series is hosted by the excellent Polita Clark, a longtime climate reporter and FT columnist. We're going to preview an episode of the series in our feed today. It's an episode about the aviation industry's struggle to cut its emissions. And if you enjoy the show, hit subscribe on Tectonic to listen to the full series.
1: I'm Polita Clark, you're listening to Tectonic, and we start this episode at an airport in the UK on a very hot summer day.
0: These aircrafts are doing all sorts of crazy maneuvers you wouldn't imagine a big commercial liner doing. I mean really sharp turns, really steep takeoff. It's now done this kind of roller coaster loop, not a loop loop, but a kind of sharp
1: up and then down. That's our producer Josh Gabet-Doyon at the Farnborough International Air Show, just outside London earlier this year.
0: There's tons of people out here. It's kind of the main event of the day. Everybody taking pictures. Massive Airbus over here. People are geeking out over. You can hear it.
1: It's a big trade show. Think airliners and fighter jets performing stunts over the runway while aviation companies hype their latest planes and equipment to industry bigwigs and journalists down below. But among the shiny new planes and latest flying technology, there was another thing on visitors' minds this year, climate change. That's not least because the show was taking place in the middle of a massive heat wave.
0: About 10 o'clock in the morning, 28 degrees Celsius, lots of very sweaty people. It's super hot.
1: In fact, that day in July was the hottest day in the UK on record. So, Josh, it doesn't sound like the kind of day you'd want to spend on the hot tarmac of an airport.
0: Yeah, it got up to 40 degrees at one point during the day, which actually felt quite dangerous. The heatwave had caused a lot of traffic and transport disruption. So there was a line of aviation industry people in these sweaty suits walking through suburban Farnborough to the airport.
2: Weather. you're to protect from both the sun and the heat apply sunscreen
0: regularly. Wear an at... And amid this sprawling air show there were these air-conditioned luxury cabins complete with food and wine where executives could watch the planes fly overhead. I've done a few interviews now and it is just absolutely so hot. I'm going into interviews just drenched in sweat and the sun is
1: blazing down here. for the crowds of people staring up at the planes above them from the burnt grass below, climate change isn't just a matter of sweltering heat. It's an existential threat to their industry. Right now, aviation only accounts for about 3.5% of global warming caused by humans. But it's got two big problems. More and more people are flying, and the industry is doing a bad job of decarbonising. In other words, it's on track to becoming a much more serious problem for the climate. So the question for the industry is, can it change that? Can it cut the carbon out of flying? I'm Polita Clark, and this is Tectonic from the Financial Times, a podcast series about how technology is changing the world. Scientists say that the next few years are critical if we want to get a grip on global warming we need to nearly halve global carbon emissions by 2030 and bring them down to virtually zero by 2050. A lot of people say we can't do that without a lot more new technology. But is that really true? The aviation industry is certainly trying. When I was covering it for the FT more than a decade ago, it was already boasting about new technologies that were being invented to cut its emissions. But 10 years later, None of them have really taken off. So if nothing happens soon, could we end up being forced to cut back on flying altogether? So, Josh, you braved the heat of Farnborough this summer to find out what the industry is doing to cut carbon emissions when it comes to flying. What kind of tech solutions were people talking about there?
0: Right, so walking through this big marquee exhibition tent, there were all these different scale models and futuristic-looking prototypes and a couple of big ideas for how to make the industry more sustainable. The first idea is to develop new aircraft that don't run on fossil fuels at all. I asked Kevin Craven, who heads up the industry group ADS, they actually put on Farnborough Air Show, about what he was most excited about.
3: There's probably two that I would point out. Electric and hydrogen-powered aircraft. We are beginning to see demonstrators and we're beginning to see these technologies mature. And I would point to... Uh, Vertical Aerospace, uh, the VX-4, is a really exciting, really sexy aircraft.
0: The sexy aircraft he's talking about there is a prototype by a company called Vertical Aerospace that has propellers so it can take off vertically like a helicopter, but fly horizontally like a plane. And it's powered by batteries, so it's electric. The problem is that the batteries only work for very short flights because they're too heavy for long haul. There were also hydrogen-powered planes, which was something airplane manufacturers were excited about. I talked to Glenn Llewellyn from Airbus, one of the world's biggest aircraft makers. I asked him about a hydrogen plane model the company had on display, and this was a little scale model.
3: It's a model of one of the concepts we've revealed of the zero-emission aircrafts.
0: This one in particular is a a flying wing, so it looks like a wing wing, from tip to tip that can carry passengers inside. It looked like one big, fat boomerang. Very strange-looking prototype aircraft.
3: It's a very high-performance, hydrogen-powered aircraft because inside this uh, shape, you have lots of volume, and hydrogen requires extra volume in order for it to be stored
0: compared to kerosene. Okay, so the problem with hydrogen is that it takes up so much space, you'd need to radically redesign long-haul aircraft to make it work.
1: Right. So the world's biggest aircraft makers are working on cleaner planes, but they're not ready yet. But the other approach the industry has been talking about for years is keeping the planes we have now, but switching to greener fuel instead of CO2 emitting kerosene that's used today. In fact, I remember reporting on experimental flights more than a decade ago that were using biofuels made from plants, things like coconut husks and cooking oil. But now they're talking about synthetic fuels that are supposed to be even greener.
0: Yeah, that was definitely something a lot of people at Farnborough were very excited about. They really wanted to talk to me about this. I spoke to Patty Lowe from a company called Zero Petroleum, who make what they say is a synthetic fuel that's carbon neutral, and that would be used in place of kerosene. This may well be the first chainsaw powered by synthetic fuel. They were demonstrating it at the air show using a chainsaw and a block of ice. Right in front of us is a, a big fuel canister and there's an ice sculpture. Oh, and we have a chainsaw. Now it looks like it's about to be started. Can we start
2: it, De- Deborah? We need to start it now.
0: So the idea is that the fuel being demoed was powering a chainsaw cutting through this big block of ice, but it could, in theory, be used in planes. This man is getting on his gloves. He has a chainsaw. It's a bit of time crunch here because the ice yeah. is melting. I can see water coming off of it. That was a block of ice. There's water and ice spray going everywhere. Photographer just got wet. It was quite a demonstration to be watching on the hottest day of the year. We were standing in this small airplane hangar and Zero Petroleum were handing out ice cream and trying to generate some buzz around synthetic fuel at Farnborough. Patty, how are you feeling about this? Watching on?
3: Yeah, it's just
0: so cool. Yeah. There's a lot of of water and ice kind of splashing everywhere. It's a really hot day out here.
3: You know, what's wonderful about synthetic fuel is that we use uh, fossil fuels everywhere in our daily lives in so many things that we take for granted. And the point of synthetics is they can replace all of that. Anything you think of, whether it's a jet ski or a chainsaw or a plane, a tractor, they all need these fuels. You know, it's just wonderful to see. It smells just like normal gasoline, is that right? Well, that's the point. It is normal gasoline, it just didn't come out of the ground, yeah.
0: So, Patty told me it does emit carbon when it burns, but the idea is that it's made using direct air carbon capture. You suck carbon out of the air and use that carbon to make new jet fuel. So you're not adding any new carbon to the atmosphere. And you might be wondering, why is it being used on a chainsaw and not a plane? And that's a question I put to Patty. And the answer basically is cost. He says they need government support to make the fuel cheaper. Why aren't all the planes here at Farnborough today using this synthetic fuel?
3: Because we're still at an early stage of commercializing this type of fuel. There are a number of companies doing it worldwide. We're the only one in the UK. And this is why the, the SAFs around us at the moment are those biomass, waste-based fuels because they don't use the carbon capture process yet. The airlines
0: and other aviation companies are just not buying this fuel. Is that that part of the issue?
3: Well, the price will be an issue initially, and I think this is why we'll see obligations emerge. I know uh, Britain is likely to to create a sustainable aviation fuel obligation within the fuel mix, and I think that will be the mechanism of creating a fair market for all the players involved.
1: We'll get back to Josh and the air show in a bit, but let's talk about this idea of sustainable aviation fuels. So they can be made in a number of ways, from plants in the case of biofuels or chemically in a lab in the case of synthetic fuels like zero petroleums. They all emit carbon when they're burnt, but the idea is they take carbon out of the atmosphere when they're produced. In the case of biofuels, plants take CO2 out of the air as they grow. And in the case of zero petroleum, fuel is made from carbon captured directly from the air. So, in theory, they're carbon neutral. And you can see the attraction of this kind of solution for airlines. If the system of carbon neutral fuels works, you can keep your fleet of planes. You don't need to change the engines or experiment with hydrogen fuel cells or heavy electric batteries you can keep flying as often as you like. Taken to its extreme, you could even build a sustainable supersonic jet. Soon you'll be able to travel a mile. Every three seconds. That's right, a new Concorde-style jet that would run on synthetic aviation fuel. The phenomenal Concorde from British Airways. Because... You know, if you can just keep flying forever with sustainable fuel, why not fly faster than the speed of sound? That's what a US startup called Boom is working on, and Blake Sholl is Boom's CEO. We have two choices,
4: right? We can we can say, hey, sustainability is a challenge. Let's travel less. Let's stay at home more. You know, more more Zoom, less Boom. And I think that's a, not only is it a depressing future for humanity, I think it's unnecessary. And the alternative is to say, let's overcome the challenges. Let's build airplanes that are faster, more affordable, more convenient, more sustainable. Let's do the work to scale sustainable aviation fuel. Let's build a better future for the planet and for all of us living on
1: it. Scholl's vision for sustainable supersonic travel has helped Boom raise more than $200 million, and its backers include big Silicon Valley names like LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman. And Scholl's done this even though he's by no means an aerospace expert himself. You know, you're a software engineer, not an aerospace engineer. I wonder, does that matter when you're trying to do something as ambitious as make the world's first supersonic net-zero carbon aircraft?
4: Well, I think a lot of people hear that, and at first they think it's it must be a disadvantage because my yeah my background is software and tech, not in aerospace. But in in reality, I think it's turned out to be an advantage. I look in the mirror and feel like I was very lucky to grow up in a world in tech where everything was getting faster and better, and innovation and progress were the norm.
1: Boom says its first commercial supersonic jet will be ready by 2026. It'll run on sustainable fuel and use much less fuel than current supersonic jets. The message seems to be that with better technology and different fuels, you can fly around the world at supersonic speed and save the planet. I think it's
4: especially poignant to look at it now, you know, as we are uh, coming out of a pandemic where we've all had Zoom fatigue and we're starting to see that travel is roaring back and it's because life happens in person. Whether you're traveling for, for business or for pleasure to see a loved one, that in-person human connection is incredibly valuable. You think of it as uh, not just where you can uh, open a remote office for work, but like even who you can fall in love with.
1: It's an optimistic vision and it's attracted a lot of interest. The company has orders from the likes of American Airlines, United Airlines and Virgin Atlantic. But there are some big challenges. The plane itself hasn't been built yet. Boom's deal with engine maker Rolls-Royce has fallen through and when we spoke to Shoal, it wasn't clear who would replace it. And supersonic flight isn't the most efficient way to get around. It uses much more fuel, sustainable or otherwise, than conventional air travel. And anyway, is there really still a market for supersonic flight? Concorde, the last commercial supersonic airliner, stopped flying nearly 20 years ago. But the real problem with this vision of a bright future for air travel, supersonic or otherwise, is that so much of it is predicated on the success of these sustainable fuels, whether they're biofuels or synthetic. And right now, there's nowhere near enough of this type of fuel to power the tens of thousands of commercial airliners, Despite all the enthusiasm, the reality is that these greener fuels are estimated to account for less than 0.1% of global aviation fuel used today. Hardly anyone is making them, and they're really expensive when you compare them to the kerosene that planes burn today. Biofuels are at least twice as expensive as regular jet fuel. And synthetic fuels, like the ones that zero petroleum make, are up to 10 times more expensive. In other words, the economics just don't work for airlines. It should be possible for costs to come down, as they have for other green technologies, such as solar panels. But that's clearly going to take years. And in the meantime, we need to reduce carbon emissions urgently, So if we're years away from hydrogen and battery-powered planes and cheap, sustainable jet fuel, does that really mean we're going to end up just needing to fly less? At the Farnborough Air Show, that's a question our producer Josh Gabet-Dwion put to some of the aviation executives he met. Josh, I'm going to bet that they didn't exactly leap at the idea of people not flying as much.
0: Yeah, it was not really an idea they were ready to consider.
4: I mean, if we look at our commercial market outlook or we look at, you know, the history of aviation, I think it's always been resilient. It's always had pretty steady demand as uh, as economies develop, as GDP increases, people want to fly.
0: That's Chris Raymond, who's chief sustainability officer at the airline maker Boeing. I spoke to him from a nice air-conditioned cabin on the tarmac.
4: of the people in the world probably have never taken a flight. And so I personally think we're gonna continue to see the demand for air travel because I think it's integral to modern life. I I really believe that we now connect the world. We've gotten used to this in the world. And those 80% of the people should get to enjoy it too. That's why I think it's the demand is going to be there for air travel.
0: And then there's airlines who are happy to keep offering more flights. I spoke to Lauren Riley, who's the chief sustainability officer at United Airlines.
1: Travel should
2: be celebrated. It's a necessity. We don't want to hamper travel. I think the question is, how do we make that happen sustainably, which is exactly what United's focused on. Whether it's your local distance flying or your long haul or other, we are really looking at those permanent solutions. Because we want you to get on that airplane and be proud to fly on an airline that is really committed to doing the right thing, which is what United is focused on.
0: So that's why it seems the aviation executives I spoke to are so keen on things like sustainable fuels. There are all these concerns about carbon emissions, but no sign that passengers are about to cut back on flying or that the airlines necessarily want them to do that. Here's one last exec for you, Jane Ashton, who's sustainability director at the budget airline EasyJet. In Sweden, there's this idea of flight shaming that's become pretty popular. Do you think there's some justification for that? Do do you think that we should be flying less?
1: Our challenge is balancing the very real benefits of travel and tourism, particularly aviation, with the impact uh, on the climate. Aviation and travel and tourism connects people. It drives massive socioeconomic impacts, beneficial impacts. And so our focus has to be on decarbonising the industry, not on focusing on curtailing people traveling. So the aviation industry wants to keep on growing. But it's also under more and more pressure to solve its climate problem. And in some ways, that perfectly encapsulates the dilemma that this series is looking at. Will climate tech let us keep on doing what we've been doing for decades in a highly connected, globalised world without wrecking the planet? The aviation industry says it can do this with greener fuels and aircraft. But the thing is, it's been promising, meaningful climate action for years. The airline industry itself has set lots of targets for cutting its emissions. How have they fared at actually meeting those targets? They've fared very poorly. That's Leo Murray. He's the head of innovation at Possible, a climate campaign group.
2: I've been following this, this area for long enough to have seen many of these targets just sort of come and go. Now, they come with great fanfare. They come with, you know, a lot of press releases, a lot of press hype. The industry is very good at doing it. And so what we did was we actually went through all of the targets which have been set by the industry on climate change since the turn of the century. So specifically, we looked at fuel efficiency targets and targets for the uptake of sustainable aviation fuels, they haven't met any targets. So there were 50, 50 targets that we looked at specifically on on the, in those areas. Only one was met. It was a relatively unambitious easy jet target on fuel efficiency, which was not not aligned with climate goals. You know, it wasn't aligned with Paris. They did manage to meet that. But every in every other instance, the targets were not met. And usually they were simply quietly shelved.
1: And when the industry eventually came up with a global climate agreement in 2016, called CORSIA, it was based on the increasingly controversial use of carbon offsets, which a lot of people worry are not going to be a real answer to the climate problem. Leo Murray is by no means against new technologies that would help cut flight emissions in the future. But he says what needs to happen right now is for the number of flights. To be reduced. Everybody that looks at this, every independent expert body that
2: isn't a material interest in the aviation sector itself, reaches the same conclusion. And that is that demand needs to fall. There are no scenarios where we can just cater to all projected demand growth in the future with magic or zero emission. Uh, unicorn planes, you know, that's not going to happen. And well, does that mean
1: that flights have to become more expensive?
2: It does, fundamentally. Well, you can see that even with the within-sector solutions, flights are going to become more expensive. Absolutely unavoidable. There's no way of doing this. That doesn't mean the costs of air travel are going to rise.
1: Some governments are already looking at taxing the airline industry more or making greener train trips more attractive than short-haul flights. But climate campaigners like Leo Murray pushing other ideas, such as taxing frequent flyers. I'd had all these years of
2: doing head-to-heads with aviation industry lobbyists in the media, and they would always use the same attack line, which was, who are you to tell people they can't, you know, to tell ordinary working families they can't take a, an annual holiday? Then when I looked at the what the data shows about who is flying, it became very clear that annual family holidays are not the problem here. The problem is people who are flying very, very routinely as part of their lifestyles. You know, 15% of the UK population taking 70% of all the flights. And at the global level, that inequity is is even greater, right? So, in fact, this is an easier problem. Reducing demand for air travel is an easier problem to solve than it might at first
1: appear. Murray hopes the money raised from a frequent flyer levy would fund the development of new technologies. But... It's a question of time. We know what we need
2: to do to avoid global warming just becoming unmanageable and, you know, destroying civilization. That is literally the trajectory that we are on now. We know what needs to be done and it's simply not plausible that technological solutions are going to materialise at the scale and speed which is necessary to meet those targets.
1: So where does this leave us? The aviation industry has been promising to tackle its emissions for a long time, but progress has been slow. Governments have also been slow to bring in policies to hurry things along. There are some really exciting tech innovations on the drawing board, and I think they'll probably become realities eventually. But as with all the climate technologies we've looked at in this series, they're still years away from commercial viability. And given how quickly we need to nearly halve global emissions, it's really hard to see how they're going to help fix the climate problem anytime soon. But if you think the aviation industry is running into problems when it comes to tackling climate change, next week we're going to look at hydrogen power, a technology that promises to transform our energy system if the engineers can just make it work. Frankly, the question is an existential one. If we can't do it, what's your solution? You've been listening to Tectonic from The Financial Times with me, Polita Clark. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review and don't forget to subscribe. I've also put links in the show notes to more climate tech reporting from my colleagues at The Financial Times. Credits go to our senior producer, Edwin Lane, producer Josh gabbett Dwayon, and executive producer Manuela Saragosa. We also had production assistance from Leo Schick. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner with original scoring by Metaphor Music. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's head of audio. Did you know the
0: Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO, Mike Gitlin?